Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Turtle Box Audio, All Hands Vodka, Florida Fishing Products, Costa Sunglasses, and Orvis Fly Fishing. On today's episode, we're wrapping up the podcast lineup from the most recent trip to the Keys with Nick Labate. Nick is known for being an incredibly genuine person and a hardworking guide. And he has one of the most interesting stories that I've ran into so far about how he worked from being a jet ski tour guide to becoming a well-respected flats guide. We dive into tips on bone fishing and chasing barracuda and the importance of putting down your ego. I hope that you enjoy our time together. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. Beep, 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 beep. No one else knew anything anyway, and you're just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? That's look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Well, hey, Nick, thanks for making some time with me today on this rain day. Kind of worked out well for me. Um, yeah, absolutely. Gave you a little bit of a rest day. Yeah, always yeah. a sweet, unexpected hurricane coming through. <laughs> that honey list dwindled down a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, but man, I'm really grateful just kind of to have an opportunity to sit down with you. And, uh, you know, Brandon speaks really highly of you and, and, and pointed me your direction and said, man, you really need to you really need to get a story. And so I'm excited just to get a chance to sit down and pick your brain on some things. And before all that, I'd love just to hear about for you, like how did you first really get into fishing and how did that somehow lead its way into ending up right here in the Florida Keys? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone has their own kind of story. And um, I really honestly don't know how it ended up, how it did, but I'm so thankful for it. Um, You know, I guess as a kid, uh, my dad would take me bass fishing before baseball practice or whatever it was and um, really kind of enjoyed that kind of stuff Um, but growing up really focused a little bit more on sports and was always into fishing Mm -hmm. um, but wasn't like a you know main priority and then um, kind of started to get into it a little bit more and more and got into the saltwater fishing and and loved it I was the crazy kid that would go and ride his bike down to the bay and you know, do a couple uh, waiting shots before I had to go ride my bike back and catch the school bus. Um, and, and where's this at? In uh, Lemon Bay. So I grew up on the west coast of Florida, just a small little town called Inglewood. Yep. It's uh, yeah, just north of like Boca Grande and Charlotte Harbor and all that. So what types of stuff are you are you throwing for there as a kid on, on the bike? Um. Well, I mean, I, I would drive to the bay and start waiting, you know, like little chug bugs for like trout or like little swim baits for redfish and just, you know, whatever, whatever I could get into. I, I didn't care. Just go blind cast a, a thousand times and 
have some fun. And if I caught something, it was a huge day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially before school. I mean, you're, you're showing up to school feeling like a champ when you, you know, if you do anything cool before school, like I used to duck hunt before school, I had a way that, that oh, there you go that for wood ducks and stuff. And if you, even if you just killed one duck, like you just walked into school, just <sighs> feeling like, you know, what did you do? Yeah. Today? What did you do this morning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ask me what I did. Yeah. Um, no, but, that's cool. Like, yeah. yeah. So you, you would, you had that freedom, I guess, you know, to be able just to your, did your parents know that you were bicycling over there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I always had free reign to go fishing, you know, and, uh, I really spent a lot of time doing that and, uh, and it was great. Um, and then focused a little bit more on sports in high school and stuff. Uh, really was basketball was my main sport. Mm -hmm. And, um, Decided I didn't want to play college ball, which which was fine, mm. and uh, kind of got back into the fishing thing. Um, I went to college in Orlando at UCF, and I was about an hour run to Mosquito Lagoon, Indian River. Yeah. And um, very thankfully, got to see that fishery before the water quality went to crap over there. Mm -hmm. And um, When was this around? Uh, this was like 2010, mm -hmm. 2011. Um, and it was awesome. That's it's probably where I fell in love with sight fishing on the flats. Mm -hmm. was doing that redfish stuff and, and black drum and uh i would same thing i would just throw my kayak on top of my car and i'd drive over there and um you know fish as long as i could when the whenever the wind was down mm -hmm. and um make sure i drove back and got to class on time <laughs> yeah that's great and what i mean what a what a great place to cut your teeth i mean a beautiful beautiful fishery there you know mm -hmm. lots yeah, of technical awesome. opportunities yeah. for you like what were you studying in college um, well, I started with business uh, just because I had no idea what the heck I wanted to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, just going through the motions and um, then really kind of started doing some biology mm -hmm. um, and really enjoyed that. And then um, ended up with um, psychology, mostly because I could do it online. Yeah. <laughs> um, because at that point <laughs> I was uh, tarpon fishing in Boca Grande during tarpon season. Um, and I guess this is kind of how it all got started for me. Um, I was just down on Easter break. Um, <clears throat> Easter break, excuse me. And, uh, I had a buddy of mine who was a, a first mate for a tarpon mm -hmm. guide. And he's like, Hey man, why don't you do this? And I'm like, yeah, okay. Let yeah. me just go in the yellow pages and find a listing for a mate job. It's not, yeah. not a thing. Um, but yeah, I just scoured the internet and I found some posting from some guy looking for a mate and wrote him a really nice email. And as soon as I sent it, I looked at the posting and it was from like four years prior. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Pack my stuff. He gets the email. He's like, this guy's sharp. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, packed it all up, went back to Orlando and uh, this guy hit me up. He's like, hey man, how'd you know I needed somebody? I was like, well, I, I had no idea. Um, and he's like, well, I'll tell you what, man, I'll give you a shot. And I quit my job on the spot. Loaded nice. my car, came down, and luckily it was where I grew up, so I had a place to stay. Just crashed at my parents and um, met this guy at the dock, um, you know, May 1. He only fishes, you know, a couple months um, in, mm. in uh, Boca Grande. And, man, I show up just like I got spit out of a Bass Pro Shop, you know, like yeah. Columbia gear to the top. I got my nice, you know, shoes and everything. <laughs> and this guy shows up in a pair of flip-flops and some shorts and a T-shirt. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> this he, guy. He's like, you cannot outdress me right now. Right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, roll out there through uh, Boca Grande Pass. And, uh, you know, we got some bait. And... Um, Next thing I know, here's a big pot of tarpon and uh, fire it in there. And there's like 150 pound tarpon next to the boat within like 20 minutes of my first day. And I'm like, holy cow, what is happening? This is so cool. Yeah. And um, 
ended up working for him for three uh, three seasons, Tarpon seasons. His mm-hmm. name was Ed Walker. Um, I didn't know it at the time, um, but shortly after working for him, he is uh, an incredible tarpon guide, probably one of the best on the Gulf Coast. Mm. Um, absolute animal. Um, a lot of uh, primarily spin fishing with mm. live bait, crabs, and and thread fins. And uh, man, we really whacked him. And uh, it was a great learning opportunity. And um, after that, I uh, moved down to Key West. I sent it down here. Um, this was I was still going to school in Orlando and bouncing back to Boca Grande. And um, I had a buddy who just came over uh, after a day of fishing. He was always kind of floating with the breeze. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, man, I think I'm going to go to Key West. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I think I'll, I'm going to go to Key West. That sounds great. I was like, well, why don't you go down there, get us a spot. I'll see you in a month and a half. And uh, it sounds like fun. Yeah. So, um, you know, finished tarpon season, packed my car, started rolling south, and uh, gave him a call. I was like, hey, how are we looking? Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I got a sailboat. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, man, no, I got us a sailboat. I'm like, oh, okay, well, cool, man. I'm on my way. Yeah. And uh, next thing you know, you know, we're living on a sailboat. Um, I didn't go straight into fishing down here. Um, you know, just did whatever I could to make some money, waited tables, um, actually did jet ski tours. Oh. oh, to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> but you did tours, so you kept them. Uh, you kept them in line. Yes. You know, you yeah. guided. Got You're it. a jet ski guy. Yeah. You guided them through a tour experience. Yeah. You know what? Actually, very thankful for it. Um, really uh, learned the water around Key West really well, zipping around in a circle <laughs> all day long. Um, but it really taught me to be more assertive. Um, really, kind of a passive, laid back guy. And uh, that was the first time I've really been responsible for other people's lives. Mm-hmm. And um, as we, we kind of know, some of the people that hop on a jet ski um, get a little tunnel vision and yep. um, just kind of a little free spirited. And um, it was nice for me to, again, be a little assertive and be like, hey, you know, you're going to hurt yourself. Get it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was fine. But um, yeah, I just did that for a year and then um, decided, hey, man, you know what? I kind of wanted to be full-time in Key West, quit going back to Boca Grande for tarpon season, and um, started working for a, a company down here running uh, spin trips on a bay boat, mm-hmm. and did that for a couple of years, and then was like, hey, man, I want to be on a skiff fly fishing. That, that would be like the end-all, be-all, the coolest thing Yeah, I, c- I could imagine, and um, just kind of went out on a limb, got a skiff, and here we are. Yeah. It's incredible. Well, for you, like when you look back at so my dad is a uh, runs a bay boat and he does a lot of spin tackle for tarpon and redfish. When you look back at that season in life, what did you feel like that taught you that maybe some of the guys who don't really have that much experience in it because sometimes there can be a stigma in the fly fishing community that mm-hmm. as we know, I don't think that this is quite as big as it's often portrayed, but there there can be a stigma of like we fish the elite way and you know this is the less than way. Yeah. When you look at that season though, like for you, what did that teach you? How did that shape you? Um, so I did it for, for four years, four seasons, uh, full time, uh, in Key West, my first year guiding, I did 374 trips. Yeah. Like just all, all day, all day on the water. And, um, I don't regret any of it. Um, it was a great way to kind of learn some bigger picture stuff, you know, kind of have more of an open mind instead Mm -hmm. of, specifically like running to some shallow water to look for this or this certain thing. Um, and with the, uh, the variety of clientele, um, I really got to do a bunch of different stuff. And, um, I think it turned me into a really, you know, well-balanced, 
um, fishing guide. Hmm. Um, you know, you step on the boat one day, you're going shark fishing. You step on the boat the next day, you're going barracuda fishing. Step on the boat the next day, you're going to the reef. Mm-hmm. Step on the boat the next day, you're going permit fishing. Um, and, you know, covering a bunch of water, doing a bunch of different things that were kind of a little bit off brand. And um, that kind of stuff really paid out. And it's stuff that I still use today uh, while fly fishing. Yeah, 374. That's a ton of trips to jump in here. 76. Your first, your 76. <laughs> don't, don't count them short. <laughs> and I hope the last I'm, two probably were the hardest two of the, of the, of the run, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, but it was cool, man. Yeah. I mean, cool. and that probably taught you a lot about work ethic, I would imagine. Just yeah. That many yeah, trips. absolutely. Um, so the name of the company was Dreamcatchers. Um, they run a great outfit and they didn't necessarily teach me how to fish, but more importantly, they taught me how to be a fishing guide, which was a lot more important now now looking back um i was you know the kid of course egocentric trying to beat my chest you know i'd have a family of four and you know i was supposed to take them shark fishing and the tarpon bite was really good and i took them tarpon fishing Mm -hmm. and i get back to the dock and i you know start bragging like yeah man you know we jumped five fish this afternoon and my boss was like, what are you doing? This is a shark fishing trip. Like you don't take them tarpon fishing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it took, you know, it took a little bit of time to kind of actually put my ego aside and mm-hmm. be like, listen, it's not about what you want to do. It's about providing the experience for your anglers. Um, and, and, uh, I'm really thankful for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When you think about it, are there, are there any particular like lessons that you learn from the first guy in Boca Grande, what, what was his name again? Ed Walker. Ed Walker. Yep. You know, you said that he was just a really well-respected guide or, or is. Um, like when you think about how he ran his business and how you're running your business today, is there anything that you kind of carry with you from him? Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, uh, he is pretty much like the core of like the fundamentals behind, you know, how, how I, I, I guide. And um, I'm just so lucky that I got to work for a guy like that who's been doing it for so long mm-hmm. and uh, has the history and respect. And, um, you know, we'd, we'd go out there and uh, we would, you know, make 20 mile runs and get on these fish. We were there on the day before and there was a boat there. And he'd be like, you know, well, there's a boat there. We got to go. You know, you're not going in on anybody. You learn the ethics of guiding and working together with the community and mm-hmm. staying out of everybody's way and finding your own fish. And just a lot of stuff that I don't think people will like quickly gather unless they are taught by someone who's been going through it for a long time. Um, And it was uh, an incredible opportunity. I'm very, very thankful for it. So whenever you transition into running a skiff, what was that transition like? Did you have to take a cut and did you kind of have a drop down from going from fishing every day to having to take a little bit less clients to do it the way that you wanted or what did that look like? Um, yeah, you know, of course, right out of the gate, you know, I definitely didn't have, you know, all those like hardcore fly client fly mm-hmm. clients. Um, I definitely still ran some spin trips, but it was, you know, still tar- targeting like permit and bonefish and tarpon just, you know, with spinning gear. So mm-hmm. I was still, you know, fishing the way I wanted, um, and kind of working towards, you know, what I eventually wanted to be doing. Um, but, uh, yeah. And if I didn't have, you know, the trips booked, um, I call it the, the R and D budget. Yeah. Uh, I would just, I just poured everything I had into going and fishing, whether I was booked or not, you know, I was out there every day. And, and even before I, I had a boat, um, still, you know, all I had was a kayak mm-hmm. and I was out there kayaking, you know, wherever I could put my kayak in, in the lower keys, I was there, 
you know, mm-hmm. on a day off or an afternoon off. Hell, I paddled from US-1 to the Content Keys mm-hmm. um, one day and, you know, found my, my first baby tarpon spot in the Lower Keys that, heck, if I'm up that way nowadays, yeah, like I still go stuff I, I use and check mm-hmm. out. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was definitely different, um, but uh, took took a little bit, but um, very thankful for how it worked out. What what was kind of your, whenever you switched over to um, kind of going out of the skiff and you started doing, kind of targeting the species you wanted the way you wanted and developing fly fishing clientele, what for you was kind of the, the, the go-to or the most desirable fish to chase out of everything that you have here? Hmm. Well, it was tough. And still, still to this day, um, you know, I have, you know, one guy who comes down for a week and he just wants to permit fish and, you know, we'll pass up some of the most God given tarpon shots you've ever seen just cause we're there to permit fish. Hmm. And, uh, and, and same thing, you know, you get the guy who wants to kind of do whatever he wants. Um, I wouldn't say there was anything in, in particular that I was hyper-focused on when I first started guiding. Um, of course, uh, you know, really enjoyed the, the tarpon, the permit, mm-hmm. the bonefish, the, the difficult uh, technical species, um, but really kind of rolling with the punches on whatever the season or day gave us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it was a good, good day for tarpon fishing, we'd go tarpon fishing. If the tide was right for bonefish, we would go bonefish. And, uh, and still to this day, you know, we really kind of switch it up depending on, on what's going on. And um, we're super lucky here in Key West to have a year-round fishery. Um, and we're able to kind of always find something to go and target, you know, even in the winter months. Um, uh, the Barracuda are yeah. freaking awesome. And I totally did, like, wasn't into them for my first couple years. Mm-hmm. It was, like, super cold, and there's better Barracudas everywhere. But I'm like, you know what? I need to get better at cold water permit fishing. So like I'm going to go and grind out and try and get, you know, two or three permit shots today mm-hmm. or even see a couple. And, um, you know, now it's like Barracuda are awesome. Yeah, they are awesome. And, um, Jack's awesome. You know, we'll go sight fish Jack's on the back of rays or, you know, just whatever the day gives that yeah. that's what we'll go and do. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I've been really curious about the winter fishing here. I haven't got a chance to really dive too much into that. I'd love just to hear kind of, if you were given like an overview of what there is to offer and then how you like to approach uh, barracuda. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, again, barracuda was always kind of a little bit of a byproduct for me, like my first couple of years. Um, I'm not sure what kind of twist the dial a little bit. Um, I think it was, just getting over over my ego of trying to have have to catch sport fish all the time Mm -hmm. and um started having a blast cuda fishing and you're like wait man what are we what are we out here doing Mm -hmm. you know like we're here because we like sight fishing we're here because we like challenging fish in shallow water Mm -hmm. and why would you not want to go cuda fishing they're huge they're shallow they're aggressive and um they are they are very challenging um but we'll start getting some pretty good fish around once it starts cooling around cooling off uh november december um and that'll stay honestly it stays really good all the way through like almost april but by the time march rolls around everyone's tarpon fishing and permit fishing so the barracuda kind of goes on on the back burner um but during those colder colder months um you know it's definitely our bread and butter Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's great to be able to go out there on a super cold day and still get a ton of shots and, and catch some fish and get the drag screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are. It's the, the one fish where I truly believe the bigger they are, the smarter they are. 
there is a huge difference between a 30 inch CUDA and a 40 inch CUDA. Mm-hmm. Um, they really take, take a lot, you know, big, big casts, big, long leads, really fast fly movement, uh, reading the fish. Um, it just, it's the whole package. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. What, what tips would you give to somebody who is, you know, trying to get into barracuda fishing based off you, you just kind of gave a few there on, on long leads and fast trips. Are there mm-hmm. any other things that can kind of help people increase their success when they find one? Hmm. Um, those, those first couple things are very key. Um, uh, and I think this really applies to, to, to a lot of fish, but you want that fly to get there without them knowing how it got there. Mm-hmm. And barracuda, like they can see a lot better than you think they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can get that fly past them and have it in motion by the time they see it, mm-hmm. um, will really um, go a long ways as opposed to kind of hitting them like a, like a bonefish or something where you would just kind of throw it a couple feet out in front of them and they'd hear it plop or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you can get that fly racing by, um, really will sometimes kind of get them up off their butt for it. And, um, a little trick I found depending on, depending on the fish in the day, but, um, say you take a shot at a CUDA, you know, um, it's always that under the arm two handed strip. Mm-hmm. Um, that way you can kind of keep that fly moving pretty quick, but, you know, maybe start at like 60% speed until that fish acknowledges that flies existence. And once he sees it, you know, you can maybe bump it up to 80. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets behind it, you know, give it everything you got. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all the way to the boat. Um, absolutely. And uh, even when you want to run out of room, because they'll follow it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be afraid to just sweep that rod tip right at the boat. I mean, even if you only have a foot of line out of the end of the rod, just boom. Sometimes it'll buy you an extra bite. Yeah. Um, doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, but, yeah, but maybe trigger them. I mean, yeah. just that, that instinctive kind of now or never. Got to get it. Got to get it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like even, um, you know, I, I've talked some with guys about Louisiana and uh, talked with uh, Jared this morning. Jared's here this morning about just like how cool the jacks are in Louisiana. And, yeah. You know, for what I, it's funny because in the fly fishing community, it's predominantly catch and release. So the ta- you take the table fare off, and now all you have is just something that's been labeled a s- sport fish or not, you know, game fish or not. And yeah. it's like, it's just a label at that point. It's not a table fare thing. So it's like, you know, for whatever reason, you know, we just pick and choose. Certain- yeah, some some people get a little snobby about certain things, and, and, I, and I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you got to sit back and think about, what are you doing? You know, why, why are you out there? Why do you like fishing? Mm-hmm. And is it because you want to challenge yourself targeting a certain species that may be harder than the other? Is it because you enjoy targeting that one species over the other? Or is it because you just like catching fish? Mm-hmm. And if you're out there because you like catching fish, don't turn your nose up at a jack yeah. or a barracuda because that's it. That's the show. You know, they're going to do everything you could possibly want. Mm-hmm. They're going to eat the fly. They're going to chase it down. They're going to pull hard. Um, it's awesome. And uh, I really enjoy jack, catching jacks, on, on, especially on fly rod. Or mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. We'll throw big topwaters for them. Yeah. Um, they're cool. We'll usually start getting those around, you know, Thanksgiving time more or less. Um, and they'll usually hang around, you know, same thing through April. So, like, a really good way to sum up our our fishery down here in Key West is the colder months are going to be better for catching fish. 
you're going to have a bunch of variety, you know, a bunch of different jacks, you know, your kudas, your snappers, all like the fish and the bait will kind of come inshore during the colder months. But vice versa, it's going to be your more difficult times of year for your bonefish and your permit and your tarpon who aren't, aren't really into that cool, cool mm. weather. Um, and on the other side, summertime, when it gets hot, all those kudas and jacks and snappers, you know, all that stuff's going to go out in the deep water. Mm-hmm but it's going to be better for your bonefish, your tarpon and your permit, you know, and of course the transitional periods, you know, kind of follow, follow that trend as well. Um, but yeah, we'll get our, our jacks in the winter. And, um, a couple of years ago, we actually put the first acoustic tag ever in a Jack Creval with, um, Carissa Gervasi and, uh, FIU. She mm-hmm. was working on a project on, uh, just trying to get a little bit more info on jacks so we can maybe get some regulations yeah. going in the future and uh, help protect them. And it was really cool to see what those fish do. Yeah. They what, cover a lot of water. Yeah. What did they do? Where did they go? Um, heck, man. So we had some jacks that we caught in Key West that would swim all the way up the East Coast, like, you know, to Jupiter and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one would go to Tampa and they would go from Tampa to Louisiana. Jacks mm-hmm. that we'd catch in Key West. Um, so, I mean, they're uh, they're just as cool as, as anything else, man. They're, they're a blast. And uh yeah, ours, ours show up in the summer up by me, which makes sense based yeah. on your timeline. Yeah, exactly. So there. maybe they're there in the summer and here in the winter. Yeah. You know, that makes as we're trying sense. to find out. And then, and then they, uh, and then, yeah, late summer, early fall, they're in Louisiana. Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely just, you know, you don't find a lot of guys, you know, living out of their suburbans chasing the, the jack migration, <laughs> but maybe. I guarantee there, there's, there's some people who, are just all in on jacks i I guarantee it you know just like there's permit snobs i guarantee there's there's jack jack snobs 100 percent, man yeah but no i think it's i I do think that for me it's it's uh you know being sometimes i'll fish with different people who like their interest and my interests are not the exact same but i'm i'm on the boat with them and i'm here for it you know like i want to see and it's it's still cool to see that childlike the passion. the passion, the passion, the love for it. And yeah. to me, like if I'm with you and you have that, that matters actually more, more to me so much more than even if we have the passion yeah. for the same particular fish. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll buy into whatever the heck you want to do. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't have a problem with it, but yeah, being passionate about something and really caring and uh, just kind of looking a little deeper to the little nuances and like things that, that make, make stuff tick. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's really cool. Let's um let's go back to something I was kind of curious about. So you were talking about when you were running the the bay boat stuff or the live bait stuff here, you know, you would take somebody out to tarpon fish, but really they wanted to shark fish, and it was your own ego, and you kind of got in the way of it or whatever mm-hmm. of what they wanted to do. Um, for you, like when somebody books with you and is planning to come here and spend a week fishing with you, talk me through like the whole thing of trying to just deliver to them the experience that you want from preparation on your side to trying to manage expectation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, someone comes down and, um, they, they, you know, want to book a week of fishing. Uh, it's great. And, um, you know, beforehand someone will say, um, Hey, you know, I'm, it's, uh, I want to permit fish, you know, which is primarily, you know, what you'll get when people are like very species specific. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to have, too many people that are like, Hey, you know, I only want to catch, uh, a Jack today or whatever mm, it yeah. is. Um, but, um, in, in terms of preparation, um, 
it's, it's hard to prep for fishing. You know, yeah, you just yeah. go fishing and, and take and take uh, every day um, and uh, see see what it gives you and go for it. Do you, do you um, like when you're when you're transitioning into your you know you're getting ready for the big kind of tarpon bonefish permit season? You know, obviously you're trying to tie as many flies as possible. Like, mm-hmm. are you having to make a huge shift on your end, or are you kind of always a little bit in it? Yeah. So, you know, you're always looking ahead, um, you know, preparation for, for tarpon season in the early part of the year, you know, mm. on your off days, you're, you're prepping out tarpon flies and kind of getting ready. And, uh, you know, right now I was wondering how long I would make it through tarpon season before I started thinking about permit in the summer. Yeah. <clears throat> and I found myself prepping out some claws the other day, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just kind of getting ready but uh but the idea is that you're always ready for everything yeah um because you never know what's going to happen you never know um who your client's going to bring that wants to try something silly and uh you know it's your job to be be ready for it yeah and um and i think it was um really um important that i was in the bay boat and spin fishing covering a bunch of water and being super flexible uh with people because um that that company i worked for um I, i didn't know what I was doing until the morning I showed up. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't, I wasn't able to prep for like, Oh, tomorrow I have a shark trip. Yeah. So let me go get my bait out of my buddy's offshore freezer or let me prep a bunch of wire or like I'd show up and I was bone fishing, you know, Oh, let me look at all the bonefish tides. Um, so it was cool. So four years of running trips where you showed up that morning and found out what you wanted to do and then had to go do it. Yeah. Um, and, that's just kind of what everybody does every day. You know, they just kind of wake up and see what the day gives and, and, and go for it and have to make it happen. Um, yeah, no, I think, um, I think that's definitely kind of something that for, for a lot of people, the preparation piece is it's so different for a guy than a, somebody who's maybe, you know, got going five, six, seven, eight, ten days between the water, you know, they're trying to, um, do everything they can to make sure that they're ready for their one or two days. Whereas a guide, I guess is a little bit different with you having a role just time and time again on water. I'm curious, like when you look back, um, also at kind of making that transition, like what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Um, a really big challenge of mine was bouncing back between fly fishing and spin fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, two completely different things in terms of like how you target fish you mm-hmm. know say let's just take tarpon is, is it just a perfect example um when you're live baiting tarpon you're looking for them in deeper water um obviously places that are conducive to fly fishing for them and vice versa when you're fly fishing for them you're primary looking uh primarily looking for them on the flats mm-hmm. where, where you can sight fish them with a fly rod so if i have a week um, of a spin fishing client, um, you know, I'm bouncing around, I'm getting dialed in on the channels where they're going to roll on what tides and how I can get live baits to them and where I can bounce on the next tide to, you know, float baits back to fish. And then boom, next client shows up and we're fly fishing. Well, everything I did for the last five days was tarpon in deep water. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm starting from scratch where you're running out there and totally trying to target fish, doing different things. Um, so that, so that was, that was different for me. Uh, absolutely. Well, what advice would you give to somebody who is, whether they're doing it as a recreational 
just kind of shifted their focus or whether they're wanting to do it with their guide business, what advice would you give to somebody who's kind of going through that progression, any type of progression, not just like bay boat, the live boat, et cetera, et cetera, but like any type of big progression, like what you did, what advice would you give? Um, if I had to give advice to somebody on, you know, kind of trying to get to wherever they wanted to be in a, in a guiding career, I, I would really just tell them to kind of think about what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily of like what they thought was cool or what everybody else is doing. It just goes so much more when you're like super passionate about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, you know, there's some really fantastic guides who just say really enjoy barracuda fishing and it can be an awesome day for permit. But if you show up and your guide's like, Hey man, I got this cool new fly. Um, I found these kudas in this really cool spot and he's all jacked up about it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go out there and work these tides and you're buying into his program. And next thing you know, you're halfway through the day and you don't care whether you saw a permit or not because yeah. you just had so much fun doing what, what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it. Just, um, you know, don't, don't get too caught up in what everybody else is doing, you know, yeah. go do your thing, find what gets you off and, um, you know, have, have fun with it and, um, be there with your clients in the moment. Um, absolutely. And for you, like being down here in the keys when it's, don't worry about what other people are doing or, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a difference between, Hey, you know, be conscientious of other people, but don't be consumed about their opinions of you or, you know, it's kind of that balancing act of like the two different things for you, like in a place that's got tons of people with tons of opinions, with all every type of imaginable style that you could mm-hmm. imagine. How have you tried to stay true to yourself and find, find your own niche? Um, I mean, when I first kind of got started um, guiding on, on my own, um, I really just kept my head down and tried to stay in the shadows and do my own thing and, you know, not get in anybody's way and not have any problems with anyone and fish how I wanted to fish. And um, I think it really kind of kind of worked out, not, um, you know, worrying about where everybody else was at or what they were doing or how they were doing it. I was also kind of curious about, um, you know, you had talked about like looking at like, oh, like we have good bonefish tides, like for somebody wanting to learn more and more about bonefish, kind of what are some of the the ABCs of bone fishing and kind of certain things that you can think about or do that are going to increase your level of success from scouting all the way to landing towards, um, like someone prepping as like an angler, like what to prepare on a bonefish trip or yeah, somebody who wants to, you know, go out and find bonefish, whether anywhere in South Florida, Bahamas, whatever, just some general ABCs of bone fishing. Yeah. So, um, I will admit, um, you know, growing up on, on the west coast of Florida, we didn't we didn't have any bonefish. You yeah. know, like I didn't grow up bone fishing. Yeah, um, I was lucky enough, uh, like we talked about, to work for a really good tarpon guide. Mm-hmm. So I showed up down here in the Keys and kind of knew how to tarpon fish. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, um, but yeah, for for bonefish, um, I didn't. I had to start from you know literally ground zero. I yeah. remember the first bonefish I caught <laughs> like it was yesterday. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was hard for me. And to tell you the truth, like, you know, obviously we all learn something new every day and, and I still do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course you get a bunch of data and you can kind of make some educated guesses and, and, you know, go try a new spot and, uh, you know, they're going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but from from the ground level um it was definitely different trying to get my head around bonefish mm-hmm. um first off i didn't realize how shallow they got yeah um if there's water they're there uh, or or can be there mm-hmm. uh which which was huge um but coming from a, a live bait bay boat background um i would say i kicked off my bone fishing by chumming mm-hmm. uh 100 and you know i, I got a up current of a flat that I thought there might be some bonefish on and I started throwing my shrimp in the water mm-hmm. and 10 minutes later some bonefish came in and I was like oh well there's bonefish here on this flat on this tide great you know yeah. put it in the database and then next flat you know you go try it on a different tide or whatever it is and nothing comes in after half an hour okay they're not here on this tide and then you go back check another one and they come in and then you're okay great so now i can move from chumming these fish in yeah. to actually going and hunting them on that flat because you know they're there somewhere um and you can kind of like start putting the pieces together uh that way which, which was big for me um I, I don't know about the bahamas i've never bone fish in the bahamas or or anywhere else but for the lower keys that was um, a definitely a good way for me to kind of start the process of where do bonefish live and what tide and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me about, you said you can remember the first bonefish. Can you tell me that story? Oh, 100%. <laughs> so, um, man, so again, when I first moved down here, I told you I was living on a sailboat. Mm-hmm. I was really bouncing around, couch surfing. I had a buddy that was living up like Big Pine. So mm-hmm. I, I was crashing there for a bit. And he had a 17 Key West, you know, no live well, no GPS, you know, nothing. I, I wish I had a picture of this thing. Um, but we worked our way out to the content keys, super low tide. Um, you know, we didn't have a push pole or anything. So we got out there and we were dragging this boat across the flat while we were looking for fish, just like walking it, you know? Wow. And the, the tide finally came in and we had like a, a 12 foot long piece of P- PVC that we got out of the side yard and we would set up drifts and just like kind of push the boat the best we could. And we saw these couple schools of fish out there. And, you know, we thought they might be bonefish, but I've never seen one before. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know what the heck it was. <laughs> um, but I threw it in there, boom, hooked a fish, broke it off immediately. I was like, huh, well, I guess it might have been a bonefish. I don't know. Um, set up another drift. Here comes another school. Throw it in there, pop it off. I'm like, man, what am I doing wrong? And my drag was like pretty tight. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't realize how massive that first run was going to be. And I was like, well, heck, man, I, I guess I better back my drag off because they're popping off pretty quick on the first run. Yeah. Um, and next thing I know, you know, we're getting set up. Can't really find anything. And uh, we're like, hey, let's try this chumming thing that, you know, someone told us about where you can just sit over somewhere with some tide and put some pieces of shrimp in the water and the, the bonefish will come to it. And we tried it. And next thing you know, here's this like little shadow, you know, coming across the flat. And I fire my jig in there and <laughs> get my first bonefish. Um, yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was absolutely incredible. And um, they're cool, man. It was, it was special. And uh, I still, you know, will bring clients to that, you know, zone um, to this day. And I'll be like, guys, this is where I caught my first bonefish ever. <laughs> yeah. That gets them excited, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It must be a good spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I uh, you know it's it's funny like the the power on the the first run you know that they that they make 
you know, it doesn't, if you're, if you're not familiar with bonefish, like in, you know, I, I'm from the panhandle. So, you know, it's redfish. So, you know, like your, your mentality, I think a lot of times is you're using your eyes to kind of assess like, oh, like this thing is not going to pull harder or, or require Yeah, it's more. not a huge fish. Yeah, but that first thing is it's going to generate more force. You know, force isn't just length of fish, yeah. you know, and I think that's a, I mean, obviously that's having them pop off and break off, I think is, is a common, common issue, obviously that people have. I'm curious, like what, what are some other kind of common mistakes that you see anglers make on bonefish that, you know, you try to coach your clients up on to help them with success? Um, presentation is huge and it varies, um, depending on the situation. Um, you know, you get in some deeper water, um, they're not going to be as spooky as if they are when they're tailing. Um, so it's tough to kind of give you like a static answer there, but, uh, listen to your guide. And if there's not a guide, um, just try different stuff till, till you see what works. Um, you know, there's some days where you can cast right on their head and they're going to eat it. And there's some days where you got to lead them by 15 feet and let them swim into it and give it a bump. Mm -hmm. Um, it just kind of depends. Um, but yeah, uh, do the light drag trick. (laughs) Let me save save you a couple break, (laughs) break offs. Yeah. I, br- I broke off. I broke off uh, two fish, the, two bonefish the other day. But um, one of them, to be fair, got caught on a little mangrove. Ah. It was a razor mangrove. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> it had razor blades on the side. Not just it just was wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Um, but on that though, we're talking about tips. Um, yeah, if you're in some some real shallow water where there might be mangrove roots or you know some coral or rocks, you know when to hook a fish. Don't be scared, afraid to um, throw that rod up above your head. I don't know, keep that line up really high. So when he goes zipping off, that mm-hmm. line will go over, you know, whatever that stuff is on the bottom. Yeah, that would have been a great thing for me to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. I'll think of that next time. Yeah. I think that's I think that's the fun of I think that's what draws a lot of people in is, you know, a lot of times in your head you you kind of you you know what you should have done. You're like, dang, I should have bowed to the fish. Or, dang, I shouldn't have pulled you know, I should have you know, not pulled that hard or whatever it is, you know, but in the moment, it takes time, takes time for it to, to actually translate to Mm -hmm. in the moment, real time information being used, you know? Um, but I think that's what draws everybody back for you. When, when you think about just trying to help your, your clients progress, because that's the interesting thing is it's not just the guide progressing, but it's a lot of times you have these returning clients. What are ways that you try to help your clients grow as anglers? Just in a, in a, even in a general sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm huge on that. Um, I, if, if they're, if they're passionate and, and, and willing to, um, work hard to get better, um, I will pour my heart and soul, um, into, into everything I can possibly do to make them a better angler. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's casting techniques, um, you know, we'll take some time on the boat and go over certain things. Um, and, and I'm not scared to put the time in because I know those are the people who are going to go home and practice Mm -hmm. and, um, come back better next year. Um, but, um, yeah, I think cast casting is huge. You know, it's probably the biggest limiting factor, um, on whether you're catching fish or not, you know, you come down with a buddy and it's not by chance that whichever buddy casts better catches more fish. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't care if, if you're a good caster or not, as long as you have the passion, uh, you'll eventually get there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's more important anyway, um, enjoying what you're doing. Um, but yeah, don't, don't be afraid to ask, you know, how does this look? What can I do? What can I do better? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, 
you know, say there's any given shot at any given fish, mm -hmm. um, there's a, a, a checklist that happens in my mind as a guide throughout that transaction with a fish. Mm. Step one, do you see him? Um, if you don't see him, there we go. We'll spend some time on that. Mm -hmm. Step two, um, do you know, you know, which way the, is the water going? Or how deep is the water? Or do you know the sink rate of your fly? Yeah. And you just go down this huge checklist. And the less that I have to ask you, the more I can teach you about the shot, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Yeah. So if I don't have to, like, point out the fish and tell you which way is the tide going and where to put the fly, you know, we can move forward into, like, you know, presentation and how to work it and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's, like... um you know, trying to teach people how to read fish too, you know, it's hard for me on a lot of the species that I just don't have a lot of exposure with, you yeah. know, I just, I, 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 and I think that's where it just comes to like, one of the things I'm trying to work on is like, I want to be able to like read fish myself, you mm -hmm. know, like I, I, I want, I want the voice in my head to be saying the same thing as the guy in the back. Yeah. And I can do that with certain species, but of course, you know, I'm young. I haven't done a lot of this. Yeah. So, so then yeah. you're, you know, but you're also just in general, just trying to learn how to be in the moment as an angler and listen at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's totally different than stay, obviously like sitting down, having a drink and listening or standing in the yard and practicing casting and yeah. practicing stripping techniques. And then all of a sudden you're trying to, the buck fever sets in and you're trying to listen to the guide. Do you try to do it's certain things that calm people? I mean, you have a pretty calming presence. Like, do you try to do certain things to try to calm your angler down so that they're more receptive to listening or... Do you change um, your tone up a lot? Yeah, I mean, you definitely, you know, try and take all that in consideration. Um, you know, I, th I think the, the the biggest thing for that is permit fishing. Like, you have to be cool. Everything's got to be calm. You can't, like, immediately spaz. <gasps> permit, 11 o'clock, ready, go, 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 go. Like, yeah. that stuff's not going to work. You're like, you're there. Oh, okay. Um, there's a permit, uh, 11 o'clock. Go ahead and point your rod. You see him? All right. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to get a little closer. Go ahead and start your cast. You know, just kind of keep everything all together. Um, or the next thing you know, that guy's going to itch his leg and the fish is going to blow out. Or, he, you know, he's going to start rocking the boat on his cast because he's excited and the fish is gone. Yeah. Um, so just kind of keep it all keep it all cool and calm and collect. And, you know, we're all in this together. And, of course, most of the shots get blown and, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just uh, just keep it together, and uh, everyone's everyone's trying their hardest to catch the fish. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really not a big yeller. You know, someone screws up or whatever it is. Everyone is everyone wants to catch that fish. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy on the back, just as much as the guy on the front. We're all working hard. Mm -hmm. um, hollering at somebody isn't going to help anyone out. It's just going to get in their head. They're already mm -hmm. nervous anyway. They're on a, on a skiff trying to fly fish in the Keys. It's a high pressure situation yeah. before you see a fish. Um, but yeah, just, just play it cool and just remember everyone's on the same side and working towards the same goal. Hmm. That's know? good. No, I think that's really good. Are you good if we do some rapid fire questions? <laughs> yeah, fire away. Well, what's your favorite piece of fly gear that you own? My favorite piece of fly gear? I mean, it's going to have to be my rod and reel, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> well, I don't know. Um, Not necessarily your most important. Not like what's most important, but I didn't know if there was a favorite piece of gear. Maybe I should say, is there a favorite piece of, of gear that you bought the past year? Um, yeah, so I finally um, went and 
got one of those gallon Yeti water bottles. Yeah. And um, I love it. You know, got rid of the plastic water bottle thing. And um, I was just holding off because, you know, they're a little expensive. And yeah. I didn't want to, you know, get one of this huge thing. But I love that thing. I love it every day, man. One of those gallon jugs. I try and crush, crush it. Shows me how much water I'm drinking. And uh, try and drink a gallon at the end of the day. Um, I get the I half gallon it. and it's like a workout. So you're getting a little workout into yeah. the gallon every time. You're going to get your biceps big. Yeah. But no, I think that, yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, is are there any uh, like special memories you have that really like on a stressful day for you when you just think about like the, the, the best day you've had on the water? What, what comes to mind for you? And best doesn't have to mean most fish. Um... So we do always remember those crazy days of fishing where you jump a bunch of fish in a short span or you look out and there's nothing but permit tails across the entire flat and, and all that's fun. But I think some of the memories that stand out the most are guiding people that weren't quite, you know, highly skilled mm-hmm. into a fish of a lifetime. Um, whether it's, you know, I had this 11 year old kid with literally one arm, you know, catch a hundred pound tarpon all by himself, Wow. you know, like just stuff like that where you just, it's it's, amazing. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And, um, that's kind of going back to what I talked about earlier, like being in the moment, um, you know, you go out there and you get someone their first bonefish and, you know, it's your thousandth, you know, you're Mm -hmm. like, Oh, here goes another bonefish. Yeah. Send him on his way. But you know, for them, they've been reading and dreaming about catching a bonefish for forever before they plan this trip. So when that thing comes in, you be there with them. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, awesome. Nice job. Um, do you want to try and get a picture and then uh, go over the fish handling and, you know, really kind of educate people um, mm-hmm. on how to, you know, revive it and, and keep everything cool and stuff like that. Man, 100 pound tarpon. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, and I mean that's the type of stuff too. That's like, you know, I think you have these these certain memories that you just your your mind drifts back to you from time to time that will, Lord willing, stick with you your whole life. Yeah, you know, what a, what an amazing story. Yeah. Um, when you also think back to kind of getting started down here in the Keys, was there any advice that was given to you that you felt like really helped you avoid some big landmines? And would you share that advice to people who are maybe interested? Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of advice, um, it was, it was honestly more of just like listening to the environment and, you know, um, when I, when I first started guiding, I wasn't surrounded by, you know, all the old timers down here and, and all that. And just the biggest thing I did was keep to myself. And if I didn't know how to enter a spot, I just didn't go in or, um, whatever it may be, I was just super cautious and like not to get in everybody's way and make sure to have a ton of respect for everyone who was, uh, doing it before me. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, just try and keep to myself and, uh, work through everything on my own and not try and follow in somebody else's footsteps, but, mm-hmm. um, just kind of look forward and do my own thing. When you talk about entering a spot, obviously every spot's a little different, but like, what are the big kind of principles of, of what you mean by that? Um, well, it depends on, um, you know, the species and time of year and what's going on. Um, but you know, say like, um, there's a, a, a tarpon zone, 
um, in some of these real traditional uh, tarpon spots, there's like a certain way, a certain etiquette that everyone fishes where this is where you enter and you have to pull all the way through before you leave or you can't crank up your engine in here. So if you start this push, you know, you're committed to, you know, pushing all the way through or, or a permit flat where, again, you like, if you take a certain way to get in there, you're going to run over the fish before they go up on the flat. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, you know, give make sure that everything has a super wide berth and um, just pull in from a really far way away yeah. if you don't know, because that's the only way to know is, you know, um, 20 feet at a time on a push pole, you push and then keep going and take another push and take it all in and start from one end and go all the way through. Um, that way you're not screwing up anything. So obviously one of the cool things that you guys have here is you guys have worm hatches. Could you just kind of give a general overview of what that is and and what that looks like? Um, yeah. Um, so we have this event that happens here in, uh, in the keys. Um, it's the, the worm hatch. Um, what is it? Paulo? Paulo I I don't never know how to say it, but it's something like that. I know. Yeah. The, uh, the Paulo worm hatch or however it goes. Um, and, uh, happens in May and June. Um, so everyone thinks that, you know, they can time it out, um, on certain tides. And to some extent you can make an educated guess on like, okay, this is when it's going to happen. Let's Mm -hmm. go and look. And sometimes it, it does. And sometimes it doesn't, you know, it can be pretty weather based as well. Um, but yeah, there's certain areas where these little red worms um, come up out of this uh, what I call live bottom, whether it's sponges or coral or sea fans or mm-hmm. you know whatever the heck they actually live in down there, um, and they come up to the surface and they ride the tide out, and um, for some reason these tarpon know that this is going to go down and they stage up, and um, they just slurp these worms off the top, um, and it's usually a couple day event more or less. Um, at least for us in Key West, we'll kind of start to get one, you know, around mid end of May Mm -hmm. and then there'll be another one or two in June, depending. Um, yeah, and I'll go for a couple days, you know, maybe the first day will be kind of slow, ramp up a little bit. The second day, third day will be pretty wide open and then kind of teeter off. And, uh, again, it it all varies. Uh, And I've seen worm hatches in very off brand locations as well, where, you wouldn't expect them where there's only a, yeah. a couple worms and a couple tarpon and they're slurping for about half an hour and then it, you know, disappears. It's just one of those beautiful mother nature events where you just hope that you can be a part of it. Um, it's pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. My, my last question for you is if you could go back and give yourself some advice when you're first moving down here and you're, you're climbing into your sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> And you're running jet ski, uh, jet ski guided trips, yeah. sightseeing trips. What what advice would you give yourself back then? I don't know, man. I feel like it's, I don't know. I feel like I played everything really conservative, or as mm-hmm. as conservative as I could. So I'm not sure that any ad- and if any advice would have done me any good because I played everything so careful mm-hmm. to begin with. Um, I don't know. You'd think I would have some advice for myself. <laughs> like, well, I, a lot of people ask that question too. 
yeah. a lot of them are like, no, nah, because I think they actually start getting super, super literal in their head. And they're yeah. like, what if I say one thing that changes the entire course and I'm not where I am today? I know, exactly. That's it. That's yeah. just what I was thinking. But it's not real. But you know, <laughs> it's just more of like, what would you, uh, maybe we can we can ease that tension and say, what would you tell a young 20-some-odd-year-old kid who, who wants to get started in any fishery mm-hmm. as a guide? What advice would you give them? Um work hard, put the time in, um, don't follow people around, um, fish your own way, how you want to fish. Um, and just, just, just work hard, be out there. You know, if, if you have a day off, um, go fishing, you know, it's all going to come around. I mean, I can't tell you how many just random afternoons I went, just decided to go fishing and I learned something that I'm using, you know, still to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, there is, no excuse or i'm sorry no um what's the word i'm looking for no replacement for time on the water Mm -hmm. like that's something that money can't buy um so put the time in work hard and eventually you know it'll come um don't don't try and toot your own horn don't try and start bragging or anything um just keep your head down and and fish hard and and eventually um you know if you're doing the right moves out there um, you know, you'll get recognized for it. And, uh, if you don't know what the right moves are, ask, mm-hmm. um, like we talked about, I was super fortunate to kind of, um, come up with a couple veterans that kind of showed me the ropes a little bit in, in terms of etiquette. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if I didn't know anything, like we said, I just didn't, didn't go in there. Um, but the way it is, is nowadays is, uh, you know, there's some new guys running around. And I would hope that if they had a question, they would come, you know, reach out to me or, or someone else and be like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? You know, I was here and this guy was there, you know, in this spot on this tide. Like, is that a good move or is that ethical? Um, mm-hmm. So don't don't be afraid to ask. And um, the, these guys are, are going to give you the answer because they want you doing the right thing out there and they're going to be happy that you care enough to ask. Mm-hmm. So yeah, don't, don't be afraid to ask questions. Well, that's good, man. Well, I really appreciate the time and thanks for just kind of sharing your story and sharing some insight on, on your home waters, man. Yeah. Thanks I for really having appreciate me. appreciate it, dude. Absolutely. It's been a blast. Thanks again for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Help us out by sharing this podcast with your friends online and leaving us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.